Welcome to podcast number four on May 11th of 2022. My name is Ian Duncan MacDonald. I am the author of four investment books. Today, I will first answer five questions that I've received, and then I will finish reading from chapter 11 of my latest book, American High Dividend Handbook. Question number one. Why does the stock market grow over the long term? When I was a commercial credit reporter for Dun & Bradstreet many decades ago, it was ground into me when analyzing businesses that if a company's revenues were not going up, then it was failing. This is understandable. If you consider over the last century, the average inflation rate has been 3.5%. Thus, you need to be constantly growing to just stay ahead of inflation. Another factor that comes into play when you are running a business is competition. Being successful immediately gets the attention of your competitors, often because your increase in revenues is taking revenue away from them. Thus, businesses must be on a treadmill of constant growth to stay ahead of competitors. This means adapting new cost-efficient technologies and creating products that appeal to a wider market. This constant growth can increase a company's net worth and their operating margins. Increased profits can make the company more attractive to investors who perceive an increase in the company's value. They will be willing to bid more for the shares. This causes the stock market over the long term to increase the dollar volume of shares being traded. The final factor is the reality that the number of people in the world are increasing. This creates greater demand that causes the capitalist production system to expand to meet that demand. More revenue, more companies, more profits, and more money in circulation results in more activity in the stock market. While they can be temporary setbacks, the momentum is still there to be filled. The result is a stock market that is constantly growing. Question number two. How do you explain stock buying? We live in a capitalist society where to survive, we must compete with others. Survival is ruled by the laws of supply and demand. We exchange our services at a competitive rate to acquire the means of survival. To cause this exchange to take place, it is necessary for the buyer to perceive that what the seller has to offer exceeds the value of what others may have to offer to achieve the same benefit for the buyer. Thus, various investments offer us an attractive reward for investing our surplus cash with them. Banks compete by offering attractive interest rates. Companies seeking money to grow their businesses offer shares in their company with the potential of attractive dividends or faster rising share prices. Their shares 
must be perceived as being more attractive than the shares offered by other companies. The stock market is the auction vehicle that allows investors to bid on their perceived value of the shares. Since no one can accurately predict future share prices, the element of risk enters into every investment transaction. Companies exist to create profits. Without profits, they go bankrupt. The share price increases that might occur are not the primary reason for the company's existence. If you invest in financially strong companies paying high dividends, you will find that not only do share prices increase, but so do dividend payouts that will keep you well ahead of inflation. Dividends keep getting paid even during market crashes and recessions. There is little reason to ever sell such a stock. The daily roller coaster ride of stocks going up and down becomes background noise. Question number three. Do you sell your stocks now or hold on to them through the current decline? If you are a speculator who buys stocks with the intention of selling them as soon as they show a significant increase in share price, then you have the perpetual problem all speculators have. Is the fall in their share price going to get worse and never recover, or is it just a temporary setback? Not being able to predict the future means you will have to live with the stress of waiting or selling at a loss and live with the regret. If you instead invested in financially strong companies that paid high dividends, the roller coaster fluctuation of share prices becomes just background noise. You live off your dividend income, not trying to time when you buy and sell your stocks to create income. Companies exist to create profits. Share prices are just a byproduct. Dividends are derived from profits not from share prices, financially strong companies paying high dividends over time not only have ever-increasing share prices, but ever-higher-increasing dividend payouts. This keeps you well ahead of inflation. There is very little reason to ever sell such a stock. Question number four. Why should you not support a company buying back its own stock from the profits or cash reserves instead of paying dividends to the shareholders? Those profit cash reserves used to buy back stocks are your profits and cash. You are, as a shareholder, the owner of the company. The company is there to serve your needs, not those of the executives who are playing daddy by taking your money and making the decision as to where it should go. They are your employees. This is where you raise hell with the elected directors who are supposed to be protecting your interests. Studies have been done that show the shareholders receiving dividends make better decisions with the surplus money than the executives of a company. 
It is also better for the economy to spread that money around. If you choose strong stocks carefully with the intent of never selling them, you need dividends to survive. What good does it do you to have the money used to have the stocks extinguished or added to treasury stocks? The usual argument is that the tax benefit on capital gains is lower than the taxes on dividends. This only works if your objective is to sell the stocks. Furthermore, I like the executives of a company working hard for me. I do not want them to have such high reserves that they feel they can rest on their laurels. It is a competitive world out there. If they are not wisely investing profits to make the company stronger or giving some of the profits to the owners, then they are building a cushion to protect themselves from optimum effort. It is nonsense when an executive says they could not find a better place to invest their profits than in their own company. I avoid investing in companies that do buybacks. If I owned stocks in such a company where I thought the buybacks did not benefit me, I would rally the other stockholders to make changes to the board of directors and the management of the company. Too often, the directors are lackeys of the chief executive often. Too often, buybacks are being used to ensure that stock option benefits for the executives are being maximized. Question number five. How do you make money buying penny stocks? You score penny stocks just like you do any other stock. Just because their share price is below $5 does not mean they are not financially strong. I use the IDM scoring software to avoid stocks scoring under 50. How this scoring system works is explained in my books and in my website. When I go to the charts in the American High Dividend Handbook, I quickly spot three stocks scoring over 50 that cost $2.50, $4.32, and $3.90. Below a score of 40, I can see four. These are all companies paying dividends. Few of the stocks that you can buy for less than $5 pay dividends. But some do exist. I bought a stock a few years ago for $3.57. That was paying a high dividend. It is now trading at $19.35. This is a gain of 441.13%. It proves if you are very selective, you can make money investing in penny stocks. I like dividends because they indicate a company is profitable. I would not speculate on penny stocks that are unprofitable. I'm now going to read from pages 462 to 467 of chapter 11 of American High Dividend Handbook. While investing is all about increasing your personal revenues, the following deals with the reality of those in the investment industry who are intent upon stealing your money. Throughout all my books, I have tried to open investors' eyes to investment opportunities 
and to the dangers lurking within the investment industry. If you wish to be a successful investor, you do have to spend time carefully selecting your stocks. While some may think that is too much work and that they can delegate their investing to a financial advisor, I suggest before doing it that they subscribe for a few weeks to the financial industry news releases that I receive. The following are just a few extracts from those I've received in the last few days. RBC Dominion Securities has been fined $350,000 by the Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada, IROC, for supervisory failings. SC, whose elderly client referred to as SK, following SK's death in October 2014, SC began transferring money from SK to his and his spouse's margin accounts. Beginning in December 2014, RBC approved their three transfers totaling more than $3 million. A former fund rep has been fined and suspended for locking a client into a deferred sales charge fund redemption schedule when she could have purchased cheaper no-load funds that would have served her better. A Mutual Fund Dealers Association of Canada hearing panel approved a settlement agreement with an Investors Group Financial Services Inc. rep in Medicine Hat, Alberta, who admitted to violating MFD rules by recommending a trade that needlessly subjected his clients to a seven-year deferred service charges schedule and generated commissions for himself. She has sold more than $400,000 worth of DSC mutual funds that generated approximately $15,346 in commissions for the rep. Four days later, he switched her to a portfolio of new mutual funds in the iProfile program. However, the new funds retain the DSC schedule from the original fund, so the client paid $17,200 in DSC fees when she redeemed some of those funds. A former investment advisor has been fined and suspended for violating the securities rules. Ra engaged in excessive, unsuitable trading for two sets of clients, both retired couples, and that he borrowed $95,000 from her client in 2017, who died two years later without being repaid. It appears that Ra a tactical trade strategy that is being applied across a number of client accounts and the client accounts do not appear to be benefiting while he appears to be earning a commission. A Toronto trader working at a Canadian asset management company has been charged in the U.S. for insider trading and running a multi-million dollar front-running scheme. The U.S. Department of Justice claims Wagorski made $3.6 million between January 2015 and April 2021 using five accounts and the names of three of his relatives to hide his identity. Those accounts would pay high quantities of stocks and then sell them for a profit later that day when Wagorski employer executed an order to buy, increasing the value of the shares.
A regulatory hearing panel has fined and permanently banned a former mutual fund representative accused of inappropriate personal financial dealings with a couple of clients. She took money from the clients and deposited it into her personal bank accounts. Fewer than one in four Canadians understands this cross of investing based on a standard fee summaries. We found that only 23% of investors correctly identified their total cost of investing when they were given a status quo fee summary with an additional disclosure that some fees were not included most investors struggle to understand their investing costs with more than four and five failing to identify the types of costs including in their fee summaries. Even experienced investors struggle to understand key terms and how their choices influence the type and amount of fees they pay. The report blamed the low level of comprehension on the inherent complexity of investment fees and how they relate to investor choices. And finally, has deemed a former Toronto investment advisor liable for failing to know his clients and excessive trading outside the bounds of good business practice. According to an IROC document dated July 6, Alfred Dross was an investment advisor registered at Clippingham Financial Group Limited when he took on GA, a 66-year-old former lawyer, as a client in February 2014. A little more than a year earlier, the Law Society of Upper Canada, known today as the Law Society of Ontario, had determined that GA did not have the capacity to practice law as he was suffering from cognitive decline due to Alzheimer's disease. In early February 2014, Dros met with a person identified as GS to open an account for GA. In the days leading up to the account meeting, he emailed several account opening documents to GS, including blank NCAF, a blank irrevocable power of attorney, securities form, and a blank trading authority authorization form, among others. In his testimony, Dross reportedly said that the meeting to open the account for GA lasted five minutes tops, which the regulator said was too short for a prospective client that Dross had no prior relationship with. The account opening forms were already filled when Dross collected them and he did not discuss the content of the forms with GA before opening an account for him. According to IROC, the NCAF indicated GA's investment objective is 100% speculative. His risk tolerance is 100% high and investment knowledge is good. Over the 17 months, Dross engaged in excessive trading within the GA account, which represented approximately 73% of his assets under administration over the time that it was open. During that time, he executed 168 high-risk, speculative, and short-term trades. Compared to seven trades, he did all his other client accounts combined. The trading was not profitable and resulted in losses in excess of $1.3 million. 
In comparison, the total gross commission on GA account executive exceeded $232,000, resulting in a commission-to-equity ratio of 39.09% annualized, which in our view constitutes further evidence of the excessive trading in the account. The above examples emphasize the swimming in the tank with ravenous sharks aspect of investing. The industry trumpets the rules and regulations in the following two extracts, which obviously by their very wording seems to suggest these rules will only be paid lip service to by full-service investment advisors serving naive clients. It is not an overstatement on the industry's part that their contracts are difficult to understand and that clients do not understand what they are being charged for. Stealing money from passive trusting clients can be just too easy and too much of a temptation. I have tried to make it as easy as possible with the charts and detailed information on each high dividend stock for you to build a safe, generous dividend portfolio. I even provided the software I use to score the stocks so you could take the most up-to-date information on a stock and rescore it just before buying it. I went into detail as to why nine information elements that make up the scores were selected. Nothing is hidden. The 20 stocks for your portfolio can be found in a few hours, not days or weeks. In the next 20 years, you'll go through at least two mark crashes, unless you have complete faith in the quality of the 20 stocks that you choose for your portfolio. You will not stick with your strong stocks through the inevitable market crashes. A recession is the worst possible time to sell a stock. All you must remember is that the share prices of financially strong companies do come back and they do reach new record highs. My conclusions on investing are based on five decades of business experience. In the 90s, I spent millions of dollars to build a large commercial risk database to risk score 2,200,000 businesses. In building that database, I proved two important things. One, large, financially strong, profitable companies have established set character that keeps them strong for years to come. Two, that I could develop very predictive risk-scoring software that identified such strong companies. I used that same score-building logic in building the stock-scoring software provided with this book. Initially, the software was for my personal investment purposes. I was not surprised that it could identify consistently good dividend results by financially strong companies. Thank you. Good night. Thanks for listening. If you wish more information on investing and stock scoring, please visit my website 
www.saferbetterdividendinvesting.com. Mm-hmm.